This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We are talking about sleep. We have some sleep experts here with us to give you tips. Um, A lot of us had trouble sleeping from the beginning or uh, since we started to get older, but all of this has become worse during the pandemic. Let me give the numbers out again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And we'll begin with a call from Louise in Toronto. Hello, Louise. Hi, Libby. Great show. Thank you. Since I stopped working, I have difficulty sleeping. I have no problem about the coronavirus. I have no stress in my life. But when I was working, I was tired and I went to sleep. Now I can't seem to get tired enough to go to sleep. So can your experts recommend anything? And I'll hang up. Okay. Thank you. Who wants to take uh, that? We need some more information here. Okay. Are you still there? Yes. Were Were you a shift worker? Yes. And and what kind of shift did you have? Mostly I worked the evening shift from 3 to 11, got home about 12.30 midnight, and went to bed yeah. around 2. Yeah. So, so got that's up actually, at 10. Yeah. So people that have worked shifts for many, many, many years, many of them assume that uh, when they stop working and they try to switch over to, like, a, a normal daytime, shift sort of, uh, you know, where they would awaken 6, 7, 8 in the morning and, and go to bed 11, 11.30 and so forth, they actually had a, have a lot of difficulty. And the reason they have a lot of difficulty is that the, 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 the part of the brain, the suprachiasmatic nucleus, it's a, it's a long name, but it's a series of cells that controls the timing of when we're awake and when we are asleep. And, and it turns out that for many people, it is very difficult to switch to a normal uh, daytime um, rhythm. So it's not unusual. Um, uh, what, you know, what the person should probably do is go to a sleep clinic where they have someone who might be able to advise them on what they can do to switch to a better um, daytime um, being awake schedule. Um, the, the, some of the things that they may do, um, for example, if they're falling asleep very, very late, because that's what they've done for years and years, they might um, actually go out early in the morning, be exposed to light, because light actually synchronizes the person's circadian rhythm. So that's something that they might try to do. Um, and one can also try a, a melatonin which is a hormone that your brain normally produces, and that can sometimes be very effective as well. So there are options available, but the problem that was described is actually very, very common in people who had been shift workers. Louise, thanks thanks for your call. I, I agree. That is exactly the problem. So uh, hopefully you can uh, find someone here to help you with that. Thanks for your call. Uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, it's interesting that we were just talking to Louise, who was a shift worker, because one of the things I was reading about said that uh, the only sleep winners because of the pandemic are people uh, who are night owls, because now they don't have to generally get up so early in the morning. That's interesting. There are two basic groups. One group actually being better because of the pandemic, because they're working from home, because they don't have to commute any longer. My concern is that patients don't realize, I, I mean, I'm a GP, so I think in general terms, there is not an emotional or physical disease that you can name or I can name that doesn't cause fatigue and vice versa. So being tired, yes, you can have a primary sleep problem, 
but it can be related to other things. So it is important to see your doctor. People often come to me and they, they open their hands. What are they hoping to get? A sedative. And I'm, oh. I have to reflect to them that sedatives sedate. That is a very different state than sleep. So let's call those drugs out. Oxazepam, lorazepam, diazepam, what do we know about them? They increase forgetfulness. They cause people to fall. They cause people to fracture. Yes, there are times that they're useful, but they have to be used with tremendous caution. So that's not our go-to when people cannot sleep. Uh, that's a really, really, really good, good point. Let's uh, take a question from Marie in Richmond Hill. Hi, Marie. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, what I wanted to know is uh, I uh, am a senior, but I go to bed around nine, ten o'clock, and it never fails. I wake up at five o'clock in the morning, and I cannot fall back asleep again. If you go to bed at 9 and wake up at 5, that's 8 hours. I know, but still, I don't know why I can't go back to sleep again. I know it's 8 hours, but still, it just feels like I... It's because you have slept enough. In other words, the uh, you have gotten your your 8 hours. Of, you know, in other words, you have slept enough, and if you're not uh, sleep, if you're not sleepy, you're not going to be able to fall asleep. So this is the question, Marie. Lots of questions here. Do you wake up feeling well-rested, or do you wake up feeling exhausted? I wake up rested, yes. Yes, I do wake up rested, but I so don't need to get concern? up to seven. Because eight hours is a pretty good number. I mean, most people would, would be very happy with eight hours. I'm just, I'm just right. curious. Uh, okay. Well, as long as I know that, then I'm okay to go. <laughs> well, what if what if you go to bed a little later? Wake up a little later. <laughs> no, I still wake up at five o'clock. Oh, okay. Well, it's eight hours. That's uh, that's pretty darn good. You don't want to yeah. sleep too much either. <laughs> and most seniors need anywhere between six and a half hours and seven hours a night. We need less sleep as we get older. When we're younger, we need more like. Seven to nine hours. That's what young adults need. So it sounds like it. If you're getting a solid eight, you're you're doing really, really well. So congratulations. Okay. Well, thank you for the good news, then. Okay. Yeah, we've 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 got good news. There's bad news and good news. We like the good news. Um, yeah. So um, uh, eight hours uh, sounds good to me. Let us go to Sita in Mississauga. Hi, Sita. Hi, everyone. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Yes. Hello. Hi, everyone. Um, sleep is my issue due to pain. Um, no matter what I do, it's still a problem. I try natural remedies, warm milk, turkey meat, chamomile tea, melatonin, those natural ones. I don't drink coffee. Um, I don't watch TV. I don't spend time on computer to to throw off my time in. I don't have any personal issue or monetary issue. I go to bed, uh, make the place dark as ever, quiet as ever, cool as possible, and still there's issue. So I listen to the radio a lot in the night just to distract myself from that. I also get off the bed, like you said, it do get very frustrating, so you can't just fight it. I don't fight it anymore. I just take it easy, relax, and go to my happy place, but also a sleeping pill in and out because I need something stronger. And clozapam is the one that I take, and maybe once a week, not to get hooked on it. So, uh, so and yes, I did work for 17 years, the evening shift, and I never had a sleeping issue. Does somebody want to take that? Well, thanks for sharing your experience, Sita. You know, the the things you name are the things we call sleep hygiene. You know, all of those things make a lot of sense to help people sleep. So you mentioned that you were having trouble sleeping because of pain. So that leads me as a GP to ask, why are you in pain? What is that pain coming from? And is there a way we can address the primary cause of that pain? So, for example, if arthritis is keeping you up, well, perhaps we should think about methods to reduce the pain of the arthritis more specifically rather than focusing just on the symptom, which becomes, I can't sleep because I'm in pain. So, no sleep pain. 
pain should not be treated with a sleep aid. Pain should be treated with something that reduces that pain, ideally identifying what the pain is and then addressing that cause. Dr. Krieger, do you have anything to add? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so um, when, when people um, aren't sleeping well, it turns out that they're, that they're much more sensitive to, to the sensation of pain. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, uh, so that is, you know, that's, that's important information to know. Um, and I agree that the most important thing is to reduce the amount of, of, uh, of pain, you know, depending on what causes it. Um, and also using a sleeping pill once a week uh, is not necessarily a great idea especially something like clonazepam. I think that's what you said you, you yep. were using. Yep. Um, yeah, and because that medication has, um, has a fairly long half-life, and it may leave you the next day feelings a little bit dopey or drowsy. Um, no, so sorry. It, when I do get that rest, it's a good rest, and I now, don't wake up l- being tired. L- let me ask you this. On most of the time when you don't use a sleeping pill, what do you feel like during the daytime? Sorry? What, um, what are you like during the daytime? Are you I, I have a lot of energy in my brain, but I am not overexhausted because I rest a lot. Um, like I will get asleep in between hours, a nap. I wouldn't say sleep, nap. But I have to go back and address the real issue. The real, the real issue is fibromyalgia. Yeah. And that's yeah. not so, something can easily be under control with any, no matter what you do. Yeah. You know, I have I mean, to hand is- it to you, Sita. You're doing a great job on recognizing all those natural things. Fibromyalgia is a chronic, lifelong condition for many people who have it. We know that low-impact aerobics is one of the most evidence-based ways in which to manage it. So that exercise piece should be brought into it. In my view, of course, watching the diet is critical as well. This isn't just purely a sleep problem. It is a multi-system problem. It is. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. And it's all controlled by the brain, and it doesn't matter what... You, you do. It, it's a lot to do with, yes, controlling how much I do because I find the more I move, the more the muscle flares, that's where the pain comes from. Mm-hmm. So See, I have to really watch how much I do, how, where I, how much I eat. But the most important part is getting that sleep. I've tried heavy herb. I've tried heavy vitamin. I'm on. I take regular vitamins. Which I do not give up. I stick to that. I do a lot of antitoxin, detoxin. It's a mm-hmm. lot of peace of mind. Uh, and s- nature, nature, anything to do with nature, that's where I am. S- and it's not so much doing like physical ex- exercise, but doing ma- mental. Sita, I hope that uh, they've helped you with some tips and thanks for calling. All right. We take uh, one more. Barry in North York. Hi, Barry. Good afternoon. Well, I'm glad you're talking about this, um, Melinda, because a lot of people have problems. My friends do, too. I learned years ago a thing called sleep control, and here's how it works. First of all, you close your eyes. You try to relax your muscles as much as you can. When you relax as much as you can from your head to your toe, then you picture yourself in front of a blackboard. You draw an X that represents 100. You then write in the right-hand corner, top right-hand corner, the word deeper. And you tell yourself, every time I go over the word deeper, I will go deeper and deeper into a more relaxed state, deeper than before. Then you erase the X, you put 99, and you do the exact same thing for each number. And it works every time. And I had a friend of mine say, it doesn't work. Well, the reason, the key part is this. You have to concentrate on what you're saying and believing that. Because the moment you think of, let's see, what am I going to do this morning? Oh, I've got to do such a... You're out of it. Okay. Myself. It works really, really well. And the thing is that people, um, because it was a bit much to handle what I just said, off, offline, if you want, I can give you my contact information and they can contact me because I've, I've uh, 
sent this to a lot of people. Okay, well, it works. It obviously works for you. It's an interesting thought. Barry, we're uh, just about out of time here. Thanks for your call. Uh, So um, what would you like to leave us with? I'm giving you 20 seconds each, starting with Dr. Gorfinkel. My main message? Be as proactive as you would with diet or exercise. Ultimately, what gets measured gets managed, so it is important to take a pen and paper out. What time are you going to bed? What time are you going to getting up? Be consistent. That makes a big difference. And avoid alcohol and sedatives because they sedate. They don't put you to sleep. And Dr. Krieger? Well, I think the most important thing is that people need to make sleep a priority. Um, and if they're having trouble sleeping and it's interfering with their life or the lives of the people around them, they may need help, and there's help around the corner, usually in the sleep clinic, where they're used to seeing patients that are having uh, sleep issues. By the, by the, you know, if someone's had a problem for years and years and years with their sleep, obviously what it, the things that they have tried have not worked. And so we commonly see people that, you know, come into clinic and they've tried all the sleep hygiene stuff and it hasn't really helped a whole lot. Uh, And they may need extra help in learning how to fall asleep or they may have a sleep disorder such as sleep apnea, which is incredibly common and does present, especially in women, with insomnia. Okay. Um, Sounds like at some point we'll have to do a follow-up on this very, very important topic. Thank you so much, Dr. Mayer Krieger and Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. We appreciate it. Many thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. This holiday Monday, as all holiday Mondays, uh, it's also a time to catch up on sleep. But many of us just can't. Insomnia is always a big problem, for p- particularly for older people. And it's a problem that has affected many more people because of the pandemic. There's even a name for that. Coronasomnia. So let's talk to the experts and get some tips on how to get better sleep. We'd like to hear from you. Uh, are you having trouble sleeping? Are you having more trouble sleeping because of the COVID pandemic? Uh, and do you have tips on how to fix that? 416 360 toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Ivers Gorfinkel, a Toronto-based family physician and founder of Prime Health Clinical Research, and Dr. Mayer Krieger, author of Mystery of Sleep and also a professor of medicine and a clinical professor of nursing at Yale University. Hello, and thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. Krieger, how big a problem is coronasomnia? Well, it's a tremendous problem, and the problem has evolved with time very, very early on in the pandemic. Um, at least in in North America, even before there were like any cases, people were already complaining of difficulty sleeping and and you know they called it pandemic uh, insomnia at that time. There were also pandemic um, uh, nightmares, and so people were having nightmares and trouble sleeping from the very beginning of the pandemic. And it really continues to this day, although things have changed a little bit. Dr. Gorfinkel, are you seeing this in your practice here in Toronto? Coronasomnia has been a major problem right from the onset of the pandemic. And why is that? People are tremendously fearful. And they're fearful still, even though they're vaccinated because of the potential for breakthrough infections. They ask the question, and reasonably so, What happens if I go get my groceries and get COVID-19? It's a serious issue. And then on top of it, we have a whole other group, those who have been infected with COVID-19, and despite having trouble with sleeping, are super fatigued the next day. 
So do we have easy solutions for these? We do not. So I would say coronasomnia is one, it's, it's a, a small word for what's actually a tremendously large problem. Dr. Krieger, does it come down to it's basically uh, just stress? Oh, no, no, it's way more than just stress. Uh, as we just heard, there are, two, there are actually two or three different uh, populations out there that are having trouble sleeping. The ones that I mentioned before who were under stress, looking at, you know, the stuff going on on television, seeing what was going on very early on uh, in the pandemic in, in Italy. And then um, we started to see people who were under stress because of things going around them. They knew people who, who got COVID. They were waiting for the vaccine to sort of come out, and there was a huge amount of stress related to that. And there was a lot of stress in Canada related to being able to get the, the vaccine. And we're now seeing and, and have seen from the very beginning of the pandemic uh, people who have had um, COVID, and they've developed all sorts of sleep problems. Um, some of them are, are fatigued. Many of them have breathing problems a year and a half later because their, their lungs are still negatively affected by, by, by COVID. Um, and we're also now seeing and have seen for several months breakthrough cases of, uh, of, of, of patients who had been fully vaccinated getting COVID infection and, and also having trouble sleeping um, as a result. Some of the patients that we've seen have developed a, a condition where they stop breathing during sleep, sleep apnea. And it's different than the type of sleep apnea that we normally would see because the type of sleep apnea that we're seeing is sometimes associated with people that have had neurological damage. They, they develop something called central apnea, not just the regular obstructive apnea. So um, there probably isn't a single day in clinic now that, um, that I'm not uh, seeing a patient who has a problem um, related directly to having had COVID. And uh, so this is still a big problem, and it'll continue until the pandemic really um, disappears or really settles down. Uh, Dr. Gorfinkel, have you seen any improvement now that uh, certainly here in Canada or here, here in Ontario, you know, it seems to be coming under control a bit? I'm excited by the fact that so many seniors have, in fact, been vaccinated. So there's no question that vaccination reduces the likelihood of getting the disease. It greatly reduces the likelihood of getting hospitalized and dying from the disease. And, in fact, if you look at the data Canada-wide, well less than 2% of the ICU visits are relating to people who have been vaccinated. It's hugely protective. And, of course, there's natural patterns that older people have, even pre-pandemic, that, that make the so-called coronasomnia worse. And those sleep patterns are this. You know, as people age, it gets harder to fall asleep. They tend to have more awakenings altogether, less deep sleep, and there's an increased awareness of those awakenings. They tend to have more abrupt transitions between sleep and awakenings. So it's important to understand that that's your starting point. And then add to that the stress of the social isolation, the stress of the quarantines. It, it's been a rough go. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, wondering about the regular tips for sleeping. So um, l let's start with, for instance, there's, uh, it's said that if you can't sleep and, and it's gone on for a while, like 20, 25 minutes, get up and get out of bed, Dr. Krieger. Is that a good one to start with? Yeah, uh, that's a very good one to start with. Um, and, and the reason for that is that if people are lying in bed not sleeping, they get frustrated, angry, and they just won't fall asleep. And, they, um, and, and so the act of trying to fall asleep in those patients and those people may actually, um, um, you know, it, it, they'll get wired as, the, as they're trying to fall asleep. And it becomes a conditioned reflex 
where they just won't fall asleep if they continue to just lie in bed and 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 sort of fume about not sleeping. So that is a very very good hint. Um, we have to take another break. I'm going to give the numbers out again. And people out there, I'd like to hear from you. Are you having trouble sleeping? Are you having more trouble since COVID hit? What are you trying to do about it? We have a couple of experts here also if you have questions. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And we will be right back with more on sleep when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome and happy Thanksgiving. And of course, it's Monday, which means it's time for our Zoomer squad. And since we last talked, long-term care, the long-term care minister here in Ontario announced a package of measures, including $270 million to hire 4,000 PSWs and nurses by the end of March. Also in the last week, I had the first opportunity to interview long-term care minister Rod Phillips, and that happened after he had a phone call with Bill Van Gorder, CARP's chief policy officer, who of course is part of the Zoomer squad, and he joins me now along with David Kravitz, vice president of Zoomer Media and chief membership officer at CARP. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you, too. Bill, uh, tell us about your call with the minister. Yes, the uh, the morning after uh, he made his announcement, uh, Minister Phillips called me. Uh, we talked about the announcements that were in the uh, uh, that were in the speech from the throne and his plans for uh, the next uh, next year. I was able to give him some uh, feedback from CARP and what our members are thinking, and we agreed that we would meet uh, in person or at least in a Zoom call for longer than the 15 minutes we had last week uh, to go over our recommendations in detail. So uh, what did you think about what he announced? Well, it was it was uh, certainly better news than we've had uh, for a long time, and I appreciated uh, his uh, honesty in terms. We were talking, for instance, about the increases needed in long-term care staff. Uh, we talked about uh, there being nine thousand in the pipeline at the moment, and and uh, his hope that uh, at least four thousand of them would be trained and in place uh, by next spring. He also admitted, and, and frankly, I was pleased to to uh, understand that he had a good grasp that the biggest problem isn't hiring new people, it's retention, it's keeping them. And he talked about uh, a focus in his ministry to make sure that, they, that uh, uh, the situation was such that people would want to stay with the jobs after, uh, after they had it. Now, he didn't go into detail in that. I, I hope he will when we talk again. But it was good to know the minister understands it's, it means much more uh, to keep people than just to hire them for, for a month or two. David, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was talking to the head of uh, SEIU Healthcare, which is one of the big unions, and this came as a bit of a surprise. She said, well, all those new graduates, they come in and they last an average of three days. That was pretty shocking. Well, it is shocking. It is shocking. But I think it also speaks to um, the minister's apparent awareness of what it takes to keep them, because as I understand, and I got debriefed by Bill afterwards, that it isn't just the hourly uh, wage, and um, well, that's very, very important, but how much do you know about the working conditions? How prepped are you uh, for those working conditions? And I think part of the minister's plan is that the training is going to include more uh, on-the-job uh, exposure before you get turned loose with your certificate and then you hit the real world. And if that is true, then it, it does speak to some you know, much-needed realism and problem-solving uh, in the ministry rather than just um, you know, rhetoric. 
you know, David, uh, one of the things that came across loud and clear, even, even from this government's critics, is like it's a big improvement over the previous minister, of course, Carp Lobby, to have her taken off the file. Well, we did, and she was, and is significantly, too, and below the radar, they also replaced the deputy minister of long-term care. And we had run some commercials way back when talking about the salaries paid to the to the bureaucrats and, you know, uh, what were they doing. And one of the things I find encouraging right now, and of course it'll all the proof will be ahead of us, but they do seem to be talking about measurable uh, performance standards, uh, very focused commitments to do very specific things, rather than broad, uh, or, you know, not just broad sweeping declarations of good intent. And I think that's maybe the sea change, because it is a big beast to tame, and Phillips can't come in and wave a magic wand and make everything good overnight. But if they're focusing on concrete, achievable steps that can be measured and can be evaluated, uh, you know, in the future as they go forward, I think that's a very healthy, a much healthier climate to get things done than just, you know, ringing declarations of uh, desire, as it were. Well, yeah, and and, uh, an inability, you know, there was one thing that did make me think a little bit at the end of a conversation that I had. Because on the one hand, it was clear Marilee Fullerton was completely ineffectual, but it was also somebody pointed out that it was a matter of uh, she didn't have Ford's ear. Bill, do you have a sense of that? Oh, very, very, very much so. Uh, it, they they were ignoring what she was saying. There was no impact at all uh, from her. Uh, in the in the inner circles, and you'll recall even when we saw them to together during uh, news conferences and and media opportunities, she was not uh, in the forefront. He wasn't giving her uh, the support that she uh, uh, needed, and that should be different under Rod Phillips. Phillips is a is a much more experienced. Uh, uh, Minister Carb actually welcomed uh, uh, him uh, and said that we you know we look forward to working uh, uh, with him and and help him uh, understand what our members are thinking, what uh, older Canadians need, and uh, we believe that he'll be able to have that uh, influence on the uh, on the premier in a way that Marilee uh, Fullerton never did. Well, he also rolled up his sleeves right from the beginning. But, David, I mean, this is probably getting a little inside baseball, but do you think it was just that they they figure they really have to deal with this going into an election and they're going to do it, whereas, uh, you know, under her tenure, they, they, they didn't think that? Well, uh, I think so to a degree. Um, I love to see Carp get a lot of the credit for that. I don't know to what degree, but we did deliver uh, last week on Seniors Day. We did uh, deliver a booklet to Premier Ford, Minister Fullerton, new Deputy Minister Matthews, Andrea Horvath, and Stephen Del Duca, a little booklet that was highlights from our petition and some of the comments we got from our members and some very specific demands going forward. And on the last page of that booklet, we said, we intend to make this the major issue in the election next June. We're going to be watching to see what you do between now and then. And I don't, you know, I don't want to overstate it and say that that's what made them uh, take the steps they did. But I think they realized two things, Libby. I think they realized this is a, uh, a very much of a uh, powder keg if they don't fix it. And I also think they realize that it's very much a management uh, issue, that you know, do you get people in there that know how to make things happen. Merrily Fullerton, as an MD, uh, had a pretty accurate assessment of what was going forward. If you look at some of her statements early on in the pandemic and how she didn't necessarily agree with uh, Williams, the, the uh, public, chief public health official who was kind of downplaying it a bit, it's not that she came to a deeply scientific analytical conclusion about the COVID that was wrong. If anything, she was, uh, she was correct in her fears, but she didn't have either the managerial uh, experience or the political heft 
to get her point of view across, and we saw what happened as a result. And then they got caught up in that uh, whirlwind of disaster, and they didn't have anybody on board. Uh, to me, it's very significant that they finally replaced a deputy minister. They didn't have anybody on board who knew, knew how to operate this stuff. And hopefully under uh, Phillips, they will. Uh, and David, it was either David or Bill, I don't remember, who pointed this out to me. That ministry, did you say, has 7,000 people working there? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, it uh, does. And uh, uh, and and the, the rules, the regulations uh, are in place for many of the things that we want to have happen now. They just weren't being instituted. So in the in the a paper that we sent to Minister Phillips that caused him to give me a call last week. We asked for things that they can do immediately, and we did that for two reasons. One, because uh, we want we want to have uh, measurable uh, results, but also we realized too that there's an election next June, and uh, uh, and they need to be able to say they really made some uh, had made some accomplishments, made some progress. So things like re instituting the unscheduled uh, inspections yeah. of long-term care homes. I mean, there was, uh, there's no reason that shouldn't be had. That's, that's entirely uh, bureaucratic. I'm sure that uh, neither Minister Fullerton or anybody else in, of the politician was saying, don't do it. It just wasn't done. And that was an unbelievable thing uh, to have. No, there was, they changed the whole regime. Uh, yeah. They changed the whole regime to uh, inspections being uh, in response to a complaint that was yes, on yes. that was on her watch that's right yeah yes, and and, yes. and they're going back to unscheduled uh, uh, inspections uh, we understand that's one of the things we're going to be and, and to fines and penalty but 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 also I'd point out on the inspections thing maybe that during the the first hiatus that summer after wave one died yeah. out and before wave two and they, they admitted this to the Morocco Commission later on. They did nothing all summer with inspections. They were relying on the homes to, to tell them, you okay now for wave two? You okay for uh, infection prevention and control? Yeah, you are. Okay, fine. And they didn't send anybody in even after the first wave. I, I and, know. I mean, to know, me, what they didn't do between the first and second wave is is still... Uh, you know, almost unforgivable, really. It is. It is. And uh, so I think that's why they replaced some of the players. Okay, so that's the Conservatives. Now, the NDP in Ontario has started to run some ads. And the NDP, of course, they, they critique everything the government does. But um, where where are they with all of this? I don't know. You might go first. <laughs> Everybody, well, don't all jump at yeah, once. They, I mean, they they're they're uh, uh, they're uh, uh, making demands, uh, talking about what they would do if they were in in, in government, and they're not always uh, uh, really uh, realistic. And uh, when you're not in power, it's easy to promise uh, everything. We would like to see them make some more. Uh, specific uh, uh, rec- recommendations along these lines, and not recommendations that are going to take years to put in put in place. Well, they're basically saying they're going to get rid of for profit long term care. Yeah, well, that's that, hanging their hat on that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Carp's, Carp's position uh, on that has has always been: it's not a matter of for profit or uh, not for profit. It's a matter of, of individual homes, how they're managed and how they're enforced. And we know from the reports from our members, there are many, many not for profit homes that are not well run. They don't have uh, good leadership. Uh, they don't have trained and experienced people at the head, and they're having uh, just as much or more problems than for problems. We've got to, and, and to say that you're going to get rid of, of all uh, uh, for-profit long-term care, uh, certainly in the short run, just isn't, uh, isn't it doable. It's not uh, practical. We need to make sure that all long-term care, whether it's for-profit or not-for-profit, is, uh, is working under the regulations, getting those regular inspections, uh, and that everybody is, you know, is enforced by meaningful fines and, and penalties uh, for, 
for those who don't uh, follow it and don't don't try to hide behind the uh, for-profit, not-for-profit smokescreen. Well, uh, the other thing, David, that was I found very interesting. One of the critiques of this, even the 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 latest, the two seventy for four thousand people, they said that because they the government is unwilling to mandate. Uh, that it be full-time work, even though they acknowledge that one of the biggest problems is a lot of this isn't full-time work, and PSWs and others have to cobble together, um, you know, a couple of part-time gigs without benefits. And they also uh, reminded us that actually the situation was similar in the nursing profession until uh, Dalton McGuinty's government mandated that 70% had to be full-time. And to me, that makes a lot of sense because if if homes can save money by just giving people part-time work, why would they... uh, do it otherwise, voluntarily. Well, yeah, I think there's two two answers to that. One is, are you going to attack the method, or are you? Two is, are you going to attack? And when I say attack, I mean pay attention to the outcome. So, if my goal is four hours of care per day per patient, and I'm around, hovering around, they claim around three now, and I want to get there in three years. How many workers do I need? How many hours do they need a log? So that's problem number one, and you may argue there that I should fo- focus on how much care that people are getting and not so much whether it's uh, full-time or part-time. But looking at the other side, what Phillips is saying is we have to really turn this into a profession. We have to turn this into a career. Um, and in order to do that, we need better training, but we also need more on-the-job training. There might be more quasi-apprenticeship training. We, we've got to turn this into a career because regardless of what you do with home care and community care, there was always going to be an increasing demand for some form of institutional care, let it be in a better institution, a different institution, better-run institution. The, the sheer volume of people getting older means that there's always going to be an institutional component, um, and that better be much better run than it has been up till now. And so I think what Phillips is trying to do, reading between the lines, is is get a short-term fix that immediately improves, you know, the people that are in there now, while moving toward a, a more long-term fix. And it might include a mix of the mandating, as you said, Libby, or higher wages. Yeah, but well, I mean, he's he's dishing out the money for it. Why yeah. why just not attach a, a condition to it? Hey, you're getting there. Apparently, they're getting their allocations next week. So yeah. if he tells Home X, uh, you're getting, I don't know, you're getting uh, $100,000 and 70% of, of what you use that for has to be full time work. Like, wh- why is that? A, a, why is that so hard? On, on paper, it doesn't seem to be hard at all. There may be some operational lead times or things that they've got to go through to get there. But I also like the fact that he's willing to be measured on how many hours of care they're delivering. So it's yeah, they're like enshrining that. In... From, you know, they're, they're promising it, and we'll see. But well, they, yeah, you know, promise something. Concrete. Again, the um, the 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 analysis of uh, Francelina, who is the NDP health critic, she said in terms of full time, part time, she basically said, "Well, the the long term care lobby is close to the premier." I don't know. Maybe maybe <laughs> they are. I don't think that they're as close to the premier as losing an election is as close to the premier. Oh, okay. Well, that's... that's... They'll throw anybody over. You know, watch and see how influential they are if he thinks he's going to lose an election over this. That, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> Let us take a call from Eileen in Brampton. Hello, Eileen. Hello there. Uh, I worked at the hospital in Brampton for 32 years. And when they talk about full-time and part-time, I was part-time who wanted to be part-time. But the idea of full-time didn't exist then either. They had the part-time and the casual people. Now, I I wasn't in, in the nursing end of it. I was in the registration end of it. But the unions didn't seem any different on any of the other things. They, they it's the... the 
temporary or the part-time ran the place. You had very few full-time. It was to their benefit. It always was and always will be. To, so to the, the, uh, to the hospital's now, benefit. Like they're going to do full-time, uh, full-time jobs for people. Good luck, and I hope they see it, but it's never been a reality. Okay, well, it was mandated uh, a number of years ago when for nurses when Dalton McGuinty was the premier. Uh, And and the people in the professions. Until 2014, that they had people that were part time doing way more hours. And you know what? For all being said, a lot of the unions didn't seem to do much about that either. So until the. Uh, you're talking SEIU. Okay, SEIU changed in our hospital before, uh, before I was left, and it was necessary to change. But let me tell you, you can't have the unions working with the management, which is basically what seemed to be going on for quite some time. Okay, Eileen, thanks for that. You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a big issue. I mean, being a, a PSW is a very tough job. It is. It is a tough job, and and it's a very complicated uh, uh, problem. One one of the one of the other actions that we're going to be talking to Minister Phillips about is moving home and community care out of the Ministry of Health into the Ministry of Long-Term Care, because it's really one one continuum, one, one package of looking after people. And one of the issues that we get into when we hire more, more people and make it more advantageous for people to work in long-term care, it takes staff out of the home and community care, where there are actually, of course, more more people needing that care than than uh, are in long-term care. So uh, one of the things we're urging them to do is not just look at staffing in the long-term care facilities. You've got to look at PSWs and other staffing across the whole continuum of where older Ontarians need this kind of help. And if they ignore a home and community care, this time next year, we're going to be talking about the same problem in another area. Well, uh, interesting. I asked him about that, too. He said he's talking to the Minister of Health or talks to her all the time. I'm, I'm not 100% sure what that means. I think he gets that it's a continuum. And uh, I think, you know, uh, by the way, people, I have a column on my experience with home care in the current issue of Zoomer magazine. You might want to have a look at it. But, and a very interesting yes. one it was. When yeah, you were and complaining about middlemen. It was just oh my scary, scary reading. With oh, it was. Yeah. It's you. So if if you remember the campaign, the Progressive Conservative campaign. So th- there's a whole layer of bu- bureaucracy called LINS, local health integration networks, that was brought in by Kathleen Wynne at great expense, like a big layer of bureaucracy the ford uh the ford pcs promised to abolish it right uh when they came in in 2018 and but what we have now if you call is is they changed the name of it they're calling it home and community care but it works exactly the same way and it is you have private companies delivering the care you have government employees they talk to each other the patient is like non-existent in all of this if you want to get anything done like i mean read the column and uh you know there are some people like dr samir sinha says oh they're overworked and you need them because if you just left it to the people delivering the care they'd give you a ton because they just build a government but uh you know uh, i just think that it's kind of a mess. I think their intention was to put it in these Ontario health teams, but really it should go in long-term care. Well, it's part of long-term care by definition. Yeah. We know that 22%, I think Bill can correct me, I think it's 22% of the people in long-term care homes today could have been and would have preferred to be at home had there been enough home care. So right off the bat, you've got extra pressure on your long-term care system that could have been relieved by better home care. And sooner or later, they're going to start with the patient and work from there, 
rather than start with all the org chart boxes they have and figure out, you know, which box to squeeze the patient into, whether it fits or not, which is what they're doing now. Well, yeah, and I, I mean, if we're running out of time and shouldn't be about, about uh, my opinion, but I, I also think that it's it's so politicized that you have people who are either uh, liberals or uh, for, further on the left saying, you know, the the problem is the private uh, companies, and then the people on the other side say the problem is uh, is the government bureaucracy, and I say maybe both are the problem. Exactly. Well, it's true, because even if you accept it just for the sake of argument that the problem is the private companies, how do you get from here to there? What do you do with the people in these homes now? So you obviously have to have a transitional plan that's going to take multiple years and either lay that out if you're the NDP. What is your plan? What percentage goes private next year, the year after, the year after? And how do you get to zero? Instead of just talking about it as an ideological point, what's your operational point? And they don't have an operational point well, that I've seen. The other thing is, to think about it, family doctors, the vast majority of family doctors are small, independent business people. They are private, right? It's just we have a single-payer system. You don't have a government bureaucrat second-guessing everything a doctor prescribes for you, right? That's what you have in home care, right? A, A professional says you need X, and then there's somebody who looks at it and says, man, no, maybe it's Y. I mean, it's, 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 it's by definition wasteful. Whoever it is that makes these decisions, you know, get somebody you trust. <laughs> not only is it wasteful, but it leads to inconsistency across the whole province. Oh my God, so we're yeah. not getting the same level of, of care in each of the limbs. Okay, well, people, as a cross-promotion... Uh, have a peek if if this is something that interests you. Have a peek. Have a peek at my column this month. Um, we are basically out of time. Uh, starting with Bill, what would you like to leave us with? Going to be very interested to report back to you how our conversation with Minister Phillips goes and and how willing he is to force some of these uh, this immediate action that we're talking about. David, I keep, I'm saying uh, keep an eye on the details. I think coming forward both from CARP and hopefully on this program, we're going to be talking about specific, specific, specifics rather than, uh, you know, statements of good intent. And I think that's a good thing because we'll have something to measure by finally. Okay. Thank you so much and very happy Thanksgiving, David Kravitz and Bill Van Gorder. Thanks, Libby. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Libby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Right. We are going to take a break. And when we come back, did you sleep in today? It's a holiday. How is your sleep, by the way? And how can it be better? We are going to delve into that when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.